So as we uh, experienced our weeks, uh, our week this week, it was different than most weeks. And um, I want to go back to a few, uh, a while back when I mentioned something to you that uh, is good for your soul. I want to I get into your soul this morning. I want God's word to get into your soul. But it was that if you're elated, because, if you wake up on this last Wednesday morning and you were elated because your team won or your candidate won, or you were deflated because your team lost or your candidate lost, you need to get rebooted into your first citizenship, your primary citizenship, which is in the kingdom of God. This is a wonderful promise that God makes to us, that we are citizens first of his kingdom. And it gives us hope when things don't go our way. And it keeps us humble when things do go our way. And so last week, uh, back to Peter in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, we found those same words where Peter says, clothe yourself with humility. So for those who are prone towards pride because their team won, clothe yourself with humility. And then Peter says, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. And so for those of you whose team lost, you're, you can cast all of your anxieties upon Jesus. Now there's, there's good news in all of that that comes with being in his kingdom first. Okay? And to be honest, you know, I think, I think all of us uh, wrestled with, at some level with things in our heart this week. And so I include myself in the need to hear the word of God this morning. It's good for our soul. Well, I want to I go back in time uh, to last Easter, roughly, and uh, in April. We had been in the Gospel of Mark, uh, in Bible Mark, not me Mark, but um, uh, we'd been there for 23 weeks, and we closed out right before Easter with, on Palm Sunday with a, uh, a passage that's right before the passage we're picking up on today. So this is kind of like getting ramped back up. But I want to go there real quick, and <clears throat> if you can remember... Uh, Jesus asked the question of his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that's anointed. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Peter had kind of no clue what, what was coming out of his mouth, but he said it, and it was true. And then Jesus immediately teaches his disciples what that means, that he will have to go to Jerusalem. It doesn't make sense, but he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. And he's going to be raised from the dead. And Peter hears that. And he kind of, in his own Peter kind of way, he takes Jesus aside to straighten him out. How's that going to go? (laughs) Try it. Um, And And uh, Jesus, in response to Peter, rebukes him very strongly, and he says, get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the things of God. That's a strong rebuke. And uh, it's not just figurative, because Peter's voice at that point was the voice of Satan, that Satan would approve of what Peter said, in other words, that Satan did not want Jesus to go to the cross to die for us. That That would not be a good thing in Satan's mind. So um, anyway, there's, there's a lot of chaos and confusion that was around that conversation where we left off. And then today we get a moment above the clouds. You're, we're going to fly up into the airplane, get above the clouds where it's all sunny for just a, a bit. And then we're going to come back down again next Sunday and we'll be back in the chaos and the confusion. Uh, just to give you a little hint there, there's, a, there's a, the disciples, when Jesus is up on the mountain, 
the other disciples uh, make kind of a mess of things and Jesus has to straighten it out. Kind of like he does in our lives, you know? And um, so uh, that's, that's kind of the, the big picture where we're going kind of stuff. And today we're going to be in this, uh, this story that uh, is in the middle of that chaos and confusion on both sides. And uh, we're going to walk through this. I'll get you a little overview here, three, three parts. The way or the hodos of Jesus. I'll, I'll, um, hodos is a Greek word that is found many, many times in these, uh, chapter 9 and 10 of Mark's gospel. And it literally translates way. They were on their way. And we'll see in just a bit, that's not just a geographical term. And then we're going to look at the echoes that we need to listen to as we look at this text. These are echoes from the Old Testament, uh, and there's, there's lots there to listen to that help us to understand the text. And then we're going to look at how we listen today. Okay, so uh, before we get to the text itself, I want to give you this sort of overview of Mark's gospel. To, to, if you were here back then, you probably forgot, and I wouldn't blame you for that, but this is how Mark's gospel kind of lays out in sort of chronological form. We begin, Mark begins in a different place than John or Luke or Matthew. He begins with Jesus at age 30. And he begins with the baptism of Jesus and the temptation in the wilderness where the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And then Jesus begins to do some amazing things. He begins to heal people. And he begins to cast out evil spirits in people. And people get excited about who Jesus is based on what they're seeing. And uh, then he begins to gather disciples. He creates... uh, a lot of stir, and then not just disciples, but crowds of people. And there's this early sense in Mark's gospel of momentum that you think this is going to lead somewhere. If you didn't know the end of the story, you wouldn't guess where it leads, but um, it's going to lead somewhere. There's a lot of momentum and excitement building. But then that's the major theme that takes us through the first half of Mark's gospel is that excitement. But there begins to be a minor theme that comes in underneath it, and it's a theme of opposition from those in Jerusalem, the authorities, the religious authorities of the day. And they are not happy about what they're hearing from this itinerant rabbi that's going around doing these things and saying these things. And then there's, along with that, there's misunderstanding by his own family and by his hometown. So you get all of that going on. It creates tension in the story. But you still have the big miracles like the feeding of the 5,000 and you have the teachings uh, that Jesus gave that amazed people. They say they've never heard anybody speak like this before. He speaks with authority, unlike those religious authorities. So there's a lot of jealousy going on in that relationship with the authorities. But that all leads up to this confession that Peter gave to the question of who am I and Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that then sets us into the second half of Mark's gospel. And what you're going to notice here with the first half of the gospel, the major theme, the major theme was one of pretty positive, a lot of things going Jesus' way. But as we get into this second half of the gospel, it switches and you, you, he's walking now in a different direction. And the minor theme that was before becomes major as the focus is on suffering and dying and being raised from the dead. It's, it's a huge way of looking at Mark's gospel. Now, to give you the geography of what's behind 
this movement, uh, Jesus spent most of his time in, Mar- in Mark's gospel anyway, right here, and, and also with, in, in Luke and Matthew as they tell the story. John has him in Jerusalem a bit more. But um, they don't even mention that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't even mention Jesus going to Jerusalem until the very end. At any rate, um, he's up here, and this is where Peter confesses he is the Christ. And then he goes up here to Mount Hermon, which is a very, very tall mountain, snow-capped, 9,000 feet, uh, very big for that part of the world. And um, then he begins uh, from the transfiguration, and he's talking now about going to Jerusalem and what that means, and he begins heading south, along, roughly along this line, through Jericho, and then to Jerusalem, where we find him in the final uh, week of his life. So it's, this is chapters 9 and 10 of Mark, is this journey, and it, we call it, or theologians will call it the way, or the hodos, back to that word. But it means more than just a geographical journey. It means a walk toward a different definition of what greatness is. Now, just to borrow from the recent election, give me grace here. <laughs> but the disciples were like uh, the candidate who, uh, here's, here's the phrase they would, they, would, they would tie into, make Israel great again. Make Israel great again. I'm not, I'm not making, this is exactly what they were wanting. And Jesus is going to show them what greatness is all about, and it's the reversal of what they think. He's going to show them that to be great means to serve others. To, to be great means to be last, not first. And it's just a whole different way of looking at life. And they're going to be confused by that, as we are. You know, this is, this is a whole different way of looking at life. The hodos, the way of Jesus. So it's not just a geographical journey, but as he walks toward Jerusalem, he is turning their world upside down. And you're going to discover in these chapters that the disciples are often, guess what? Clueless. Absolutely clueless. And to the point where you think, how could they be so stupid? So I had a, uh, I have a little story about a guy that uh, I was teaching this years ago. And in Mark's gospel, they look worse than the other gospel writers. I mean, for those who make studies of this stuff, they really look bad. And it's interesting because Mark's source is Peter, most likely. And Peter's the one who looks the worst. <laughs> Don't you love Peter? I mean, he's not too proud, at, as he reflects back on his life, to point out his goof, you know, where he gets it wrong. So at any rate, and, and Peter's the one that tells you to clothe yourselves with humility. I mean, he, you know, it, it all kind of connects the dots. But... Um, Peter is, um, they're, they're looking back, and, and uh, okay, yeah, the disciples are clueless, and we'll see, actually see Peter today in a clueless fashion, but this guy said, I can't believe how stupid they are, and so I said, okay, come with me, we're going to go to the men's room, that's what pastors, you know, that's a great line, right, you know, <laughs> I said, okay, so we did, we went to the men's room, and I said, let's just stand in front of the mirror, and you tell me, look in the mirror, and you tell me the number of times that you've been really stupid. You haven't heard Jesus, and you haven't obeyed Jesus, and you've done it more than once. Just, just tell me. I mean, okay, so let me give you some samples. Is, is there anybody that would be in the category of an enemy in your life that you have not loved? And you've talked about his neighbor. <laughs> you know, okay. start, things start coming. And how many times have you failed to love your enemy? He says, I'm pretty stupid. 
And I, and I gave him some of my stuff, which I'm not going to tell you because, you know, I'm not there with. But we have that stuff. We're, we, don't be too incredulous when you see the disciples over and over again goof up uh, in this section. It's, uh, it's, they're just not getting it. Okay, there you go. Let's look at what happens here. For six days, or after six days, so that would be six days after Jesus uh, was asked Peter that question, who am I? And Peter responded in the, in the right way. Uh, you are the Messiah. Six days after that, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, three out of the 12 disciples with him, and he led them up the high mountain. So we're going to look for some echoes here. And if you were to think of a high mountain in the Old Testament, what, what mountain might that be? A really important one. Yeah, Sinai, Mount Sinai. There's others, but that, that would be the most important. It's where Moses gave the law. And uh, we'll see how that plays out here. It's a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured, uh, physically changed before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Uh, That's the way Mark has of trying to describe something that he doesn't have words for. We might today say he looked like a hologram, maybe. I mean, something that was so lit up that the essence of what it was is actually projected through the light as, uh, uh, anyway, beyond uh, description. And there appeared before them Elijah. Elijah would represent the prophets of the Old Testament, and Moses would represent the law. So you have the law and the prophets, which is the way the Old Testament is talked about. And they were talking with Jesus. There was an interesting, uh, both Elijah and Moses have kind of interesting mysterious deaths and and Elijah was scooped up and taken to heaven before he died and Moses they could never find his body you know it's kind of like Jimmy Hoffa right (laughs) but that's a bad joke actually but uh, but they never could figure out what happened to his body and so it's just interesting that that these two Old Testament characters show up here at this time and um, then Moses let's just focus on Moses and we'll come back to Elijah uh, later, Moses was on the mountain, Mount Sinai, we remember. Uh, and what happened to Moses there, he was, the people were down on the mountain, and he was up on the mountain, and he met with God, and he became friends with God. It's, it's a very wonderful relationship. He spoke to God in a, in a unique, intimate way. And uh, what happened was Moses' face became... Uh, it reflected the glory that he had been around. And so being with God if you, you know, had an effect, a physical effect on his appearance. Now Jesus, in this, just to create a, a little tension and, uh, or um, distinction, is that Jesus is the one who is radiant here. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Moses reflected God's radiance, but Jesus was radiant. Jesus is the source of radiance. He didn't derive his radiance from, it was part of who he was. And, and this, it, it, Moses, it was, he was like the moon. Jesus is like the sun. So there's a, there's a difference here between Jesus and Moses, but they both have this sort of glory about them uh, as we read their stories, and they both happen on a mountain. 
Now, uh, there's a tension that enters in here from the Old Testament, if we think about the echoes that we're hearing, and that is that when Moses was with God, if we look at Exodus chapter 33, Moses requests something of God. He gets kind of bold, and it's, we read this there, and we think, wow, Moses, you were, you were pretty bold. I don't know if, I'm not sure I would have asked that question of God, but Moses says, uh, can I see your face? Can I see your face or your glory, actually, is what he asked for. And God, in a very loving way, says, no one can see my face and not die. Okay, I don't, it doesn't say that Moses took back his question, but God goes on to say, I will pass before you. You will not see my face, but you will see my, sort of the backside of my glory. He's going to reveal more to Moses than he has to anyone else, but he's not going to reveal the fullness of it. And if he did, what would happen to Moses? He would just get incinerated. He would die. Think of the Raiders of the last, Lost Ark, that scene at the end. I always think of, that helps me realize what we're talking about here. This is the holy God. And nobody is going to see him and, and be the same. They're not going to be the same. Now, what's interesting in all of that is that we are seeing, they are seeing now Jesus Christ, who is God himself, and they are able to take it in. But they don't die, but Jesus dies. That's just a little insight into the complexities of the plot. But the idea, though, is that God is, is holy, and Moses has to uh, understand that. And, and we need to understand that, too, that we're talking about something here beyond ourselves. So there's echoes in that way. And then uh, another echo is that uh, Peter wants to build these uh, shelters. Let's look at that. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And it adds in parentheses in the NIV anyway, he did not know what to say. He, might just, he didn't know what he was saying. He might just come out and say it there. But he was scared. Most people, when they get this scared, they wet their pants. And Peter would have been better off had he done so than if he, what he said out of his mouth. So that doesn't make sense. He didn't know what he was saying. But on the other hand, think about it. There's a whole system in the Old Testament that is based on the holiness of God uh, we had the, after the, Moses' experience there, and no one can live or see God and live, they're going to die. They build the tabernacle to, uh, I don't want to say contain God's presence, that's not right, but the, his presence was, was uh, visibly seen there, manifested there. And that was the place where they knew about the holiness of God, the temple. And then the holy of holies in the center of that temple. And, and the priest that would go in there, you had to be a priest to go into that temple, into the, at least to the holier places of that temple. And there were sacrifices to be made. All of that stuff, it's a system that reminds Israel of the holiness of God. And Peter, this is what a lot of commentators believe, was trying to put coverings over Jesus, Moses, and Elijah to protect themselves from the holiness of God, just as it was done in the Old Testament. They are scared. The text tells us they are scared, and so they build these, or they want to build these three little shelters. What a dumb idea. But that's Peter, you know, that's, and, and look in the mirror, go in the men's, or women's room, whatever applies to you. And these days we don't know what applies. <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. Bad joke. 
Another echo, verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. This is my son whom I love. And then he adds these words, listen to him. But the the text is echoing back to Psalm 2, verse 7. This is my my son whom I love. It's the political psalm in the Psalms. It's very political. It's about God enthroning his king on his holy mountain, meaning David. And then Jesus being the son of David, that language gets picked up and it's used in Jesus' baptism where the father says, this is my son whom I love. But then these words are added, listen to him. And this is where I want to go here. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Because the disciples are having a really, really hard time listening to Jesus, like we do. And, and Jesus will say things that are very, very simple, like pray for your enemies, love your enemies, forgive people, don't hold grudges. And I mean, it's, it's just simple stuff that is so, we just don't hear it. We think that's for somebody else. But we, we, we don't take it in. This is the, the, the word of God getting into our soul and shaping us. He is the one, look, look, look at this. Uh, he is the one who holds all things together. He sustains all things by his powerful word. Just That's a promise that is given to us to listen to and take in. And suddenly, Mark says, so he picks up some of that language that he's known for. Mark is very uh, much an active or action writer. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no, no one was there except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone. We get into this secret thing. If you remember back, Mark in his gospel, more than the other gospel writers, talks about this secret. And don't tell anybody. And uh, here it is. Uh, Don't tell anybody what they had seen uh, until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Okay? They don't understand what that means anyway. And here it says in verse 10, they kept the matter to themselves. They listened. But they were discussing what rising from the dead meant. They don't understand. And then they ask, here's an echo from relating to Elijah, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? In other words, Messiah, if you're the Messiah, you're here, but why do they say Elijah must come first? And we just saw Elijah. We're, we're just really confused. So they ask the question, and Jesus answers it very succinctly. He says, don't you know that Elijah has come? And don't you remember back in Mark chapter 6, John the Baptist came and they did to him what they wanted to do to him. They killed him. They beheaded him. That is code for Elijah coming to prepare the way for Jesus. And they did to him, and guess what? If we read between the lines, that's a hint of what they're going to do to me as I walk toward Jerusalem on the way. We're headed right now. We're going south towards that place. And when Jesus gets to that place, we know, I'm going to jump to the end here. This takes us a long ways forward. But we know that he went up to a mountain, and he died on a mountain called Calvary. And it was a mountain not of transfiguration, but of disfiguration. And that the clothes he wore on that day were not bright as bright can be, but they were torn and bloodied, and he was mostly naked, if not totally naked. So that is where he is walking. He is purposefully walking to that place 
and he knows what will happen there. Why would he do it? He did it for you. Look in the mirror. (laughs) He did it for you with all of your stuff. When you don't listen well, you don't do everything he says, he still did it for you. That's the gospel. Now let's just listen for a sec, for us to listen to his word in this time, in this week that we live. And I'm going to use this journey uh, map here, and this is where we begin as we enter into a relationship with Christ. We walk with him. It is not a straight-line journey. It's a twisty road with mountains of difficulty, and there may be mountaintop experiences as well. There will be times where you you will be beside yourself with joy, And there will be times when you are beside yourself with anxiety. And I don't know how your week was, but, you know, you can figure it out. But the point is, is that we listen to Jesus. We think, what does it mean to love my neighbor? What does it mean to forgive someone? What does it mean to go out of my way for someone, especially someone who's different than me? And I'll tell you what it doesn't mean, typically. It mean, well, I'll tell you what it could mean. Is it could mean spending more time in prayer, more time in prayer than on Facebook. Just a hint. Uh, my nephew just, he says, I'm checking out of Facebook for two weeks. We're going to have a baby. I'll get back to you with the good news when, it, when he comes or she comes. I can't remember what they're having. But, but I mean, there's just some, some peace that comes with spending time in prayer and, and putting some boundaries on the anxiety-producing things that are in your life. Let Jesus speak deeply to your soul. Wherever your soul's at, I don't care who you voted for, wherever your soul is at, let Jesus speak into it. That's what it means to listen to him and then to do what he says. So this week, um, I had, a, I had a, actually a kind of an amazing week. And... Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guessing it in a lot of ways was like yours, but I, I had built into my week, kind of without thinking, I had a lot of appointments, and they were mostly with people that were different from me. Um, I'll start out by just saying, I, in the wake of the election on, on Wednesday, I sent an email to my Muslim friends, and I have not yet heard back from them. But I want to hear, how are you doing? I want to hear of those who might be vulnerable right now. I want to go out of my way to try to listen to what Jesus said and do what he says. And so I've spent time with a, a man from India, uh, a couple from Indonesia. And on Friday, I spent time with uh, an African-American uh, uh, church planter in South Seattle. And I asked him, we had, we had this, I'm just going to share this one with you, but I asked him, how are you doing? And we, you know, hey, didn't every conversation this week have, you started out by talking, I mean, am I alone here? Because, uh, it was about the election, right? Just, I mean, whatever. Whoever, you can hear it. And um, so we, we, we started there, and um, he, I, he said, well, uh, I have some anxieties. Then he says, but I know that God is in control, and I know that he has asked me to pray for our new president. And that was good. He listened. Do you listen? I mean, just answer the question yourself. Am I listening to God? Because uh, the church, this, is a, this is, could be a shining moment for the church to be those citizens first of the kingdom and do, not just listen, but do the things that Jesus says. Let's pray. Lord, come, we pray, by your spirit. Uh, we need you more than ever. 
and um, search our hearts right now for pride or anxiety, for triumphalism or whatever the opposite of that is. And Lord, just speak to us about who we really are. And then we want to do what you want us to do. We, we pause to allow you now to do that. Come, Lord Jesus. Come into our world and come into our hearts and renew us. We pray this in your name. Amen.